0: When we moved here six months ago, we had to switch over our automobile insurance to a local agent, and when I sent him the details of our old policy, he called me back to tell me that our premium would nearly double. I asked him if there was anything wrong with our driving record, and he assured me no, that that simply." living in Fantville made it more likely that I would be in an accident because, as he put it, so many of the people around here drive like college kids. (laughs) Speeding, following too close, running red lights, those are habits that would be dangerous for most of us drivers, but for those so confident in their ability to remain hyper-vigilant and avoid an accident even as it unfolds in front of them, which is to say males between the ages of 16 and 25. For them, such is the way they drive and the rest of us hope to be insured when we hit them. Dave Barry, the humorist, once wrote the one thing that unites all human beings, regardless of age, gender, religion, economic status, or ethnic background, is that deep down inside, we all believe that we are above average drivers. (laughs) And he's right. Nobody thinks she's a bad driver. Nobody. Similarly, every parent I've ever met is convinced that his child is special. Everyone one is convinced that she or he deserves a raise. And no one believes that she or he is going to hell. Nobody. More than half the population believe in hell, a Pew research study shows, but nobody believes they're going. <laughs> and maybe they're right. Maybe in the end, hell is completely unpopulated. Maybe, as we say, all paths are leading up the same mountain. But if that's so, if that's what we believe, would we still say that every religion is right? (laughs) Today, we celebrate the conversion of St. Paul, the Apostle But we're not here to celebrate his conversion from one Abrahamic tradition to another. We're here to celebrate his faithfulness. A faithfulness which made it possible for him to leave the path he was convinced was God's will for his life and accept the path that God showed him was unfolding right in front of him. A faithfulness that made it possible for Paul to let go of his own will and be conformed to the divine will. There's no doubt that Paul was faithful, that Paul was devoted to God for his whole life. We heard what he wrote in his letter to the Galatians, I advanced in Judaism beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul was devoted, and it was that devotion, that commitment that led him to believe he was doing the right thing. As he explained to King Agrippa, indeed I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things against the name of Jesus of Nazareth, and that's what I did. The religious fervor became the justification for his actions, even actions that led to the deaths of other people. Isn't it funny? how people who use the name of God as the reason for their behavior always seem to act with unquestioned confidence. Yet right in the middle of it, in the middle of Paul's quest, in the middle of that certitude, God showed up and revealed something different, turned everything around, made it all new. How was that possible? How is it possible that the one who was determined, who was convinced, so convinced that he would even murder people in God's name, how is it that he was able to hear God tell him to go in another direction? How does that work? Most people who wield God's name as a weapon for their adversaries fail to even acknowledge the existence of an alternative truth, much less adopt it. How did Paul hear God's words that day? Because in Paul, something was different. There was more to Paul than blind anger, drunk on religious determination. Paul was faithful. Paul was faithful to the same God, to Jesus God. Paul was faithful beyond his conviction. Paul was faithful in a way that made it possible for God to show up and and reveal to him something he never expected, which is to say that Paul was faithful, faithful enough that even though he was convinced he was right, he held open the possibility that he might be wrong. Isn't that faithfulness? Isn't faithfulness believing that God's will is more important than what we think is right? Isn't that what it means to be faithful like Paul, like any of the saints? Is that our faithfulness as well? A, a letting go of what we know to be true and embracing what God might be surprising us with? Or are we chasing in God's name after a rite of our own creation? This weekend, I watched as an ugly argument unfolded on Facebook. It was a part of a Facebook group for people who take part in general convention, the triennial gathering for the Episcopal Church. I learned a long time ago not to pay attention to what most people post on Facebook about the church, but a friend of mine had screenshot the unfolding controversy and shared it, and so I got hooked and started keeping track. That was a mistake, I see you shaking your heads. (laughs) Where were you on Friday afternoon? Uh. I watched as a peculiar but unfortunately not surprising thing developed. Because as is true in any online encounter, that gap between a real person and that person's virtual self becomes the space where hatred and resentment breed. And that's what happened here. Someone posted, as is not all that uncommon for the General Convention's Facebook group, someone posted a politically charged article that took exception with the religious practices of the Vice President of the United States. A lot of people liked that article. People shared their comments about the closed-mindedness of others. But one, one brave Episcopalian didn't like what she had read. She didn't like it that her church was speaking ill of a man whose politics and religious identity she admired. And she must have known the kind of reaction she would get in this particular group. But that didn't stop her because she felt strongly about it. And she wanted to be heard. Now, she used language about the two edged sword of God's word and and casting out evil in Jesus' name, words that that I try to avoid, if at all possible. But even though she was pointed and uncompromising, she was faithful. Yet she touched a nerve, particularly a nerve with an individual, a man who let us know that he had been wounded personally and deeply by Michael Pence's policies when he was governor of Indiana. But instead of a disagreement within the bounds of the church, what spewed out was vengeance. The man began to use language, names, curse words, insults, threats that don't belong anywhere, especially in the church. And she egged it on. She participated, too. Very few people, if anyone in that group, would have shared her opinion. Many of us were sympathetic at the woundedness of this man, a genuine hurt that he was allowing us to see. But there was something about the way he expressed it. This unbridled rage that blurred with hatred that made it impossible for even the most sympathetic observer to stand up and argue with him, for him. The Apostle Paul also knew what it meant to be motivated by rage. As he explained to King Agrippa, since I was so furiously enraged at the Christians, I pursued them even to foreign cities. But that rage, that anger, was not of God. Indeed, Paul's anger became the very thing that showed him his religious furor, his religious fervor, had been misdirected. When Jesus appeared, Jesus said to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It hurts you to kick against the goads. Our God is not a God of rage. Our God is a God of love. And anyone who pursues God in a way that leads to hatred or rage or violence isn't on the path that leads to the top of the mountain, but the summit of a hill of his own creation. What path are we on? as the people of God, as the body of Christ, as St. Paul's Episcopal Church. What path are we on? Today is about a lot more than celebrating the conversion of Paul, a blinding moment on the Damascus Road. It's about celebrating the conversion of St. Paul's, the redemption of all of us, the daily redemption, from the path we thought was right to the path God is laying out in front of us. Like Paul, we follow Jesus Christ not because he's headed in the direction we want him to go, but because we see in him and in his unconditional and indiscriminate love God's best hope for our lives and for the whole world. That's why we follow, and that's where we're going. May that love be at the center of who we are and everything we do now and always.